This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Welcome to all of you around the world that are going to enjoy the service this evening. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to open up in prayer. Won't you agree with me as we dedicate this word to the Lord? Father, we come before you this evening in the wonderful name of Jesus. I want to thank you firstly for the privilege that I have of teaching your word tonight. Holy Ghost, you are the author of the Bible and therefore the one most qualified to teach. I pray that you would teach through me this living word of God that, is, that enables us to walk according to your precepts and strengthens us to obey you. And all those who agreed said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're in this series of seven choices, and we all got a different theme between myself, Pastor Johnny, Pastor Greg. You know, I would have preferred another theme (laughs) because this one really stretched me. The theme I'm going to be teaching on tonight, the subject, I thought to myself, you know what? I would have liked rest. I do rest pretty well. I mean, Pastor Greg did a, he did a, great, a great session on the rest of God. Pastor Jenny did generosity. Paul started on six steps, on, um, on next steps, six steps, next steps. Um, so tonight I've got a very interesting subject, and we're going to continue on with this theme um, from now. This is part three, so we're going to do seven, seven steps. So this series that we're dealing with right now from the beginning of the year deals with how to live out our faith in a very practical way very practical way. And our key verse is found in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11. If you have your Bibles, you can go there with me. The Bible says, wise choices will watch over you. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Can someone say choices? So in the seven choices, the theme or the subject I'm going to be speaking on tonight is choosing to share God's love. And you'll see as I teach it this evening why it's stretched me, because no doubt it's going to stretch you this evening. So the entire goal, as everyone has mentioned so far, of this series is to move us from good intentions to wise choices. It was A.W. Tozer that said this. So there's a difference between intentions and choices. I heard a friend of mine once say this. He said, you know what? We want everyone to judge us by our intentions while we judge them by their actions. You know, and people say, why did you do that? You say, but that's what I intended to do. But when people come to us and hurt us and we say, why did you do that? This is what I intended. I don't care what you intended. This is how I felt. You can't have it both ways, okay? So when we talk about intentions and choices, we have to make wise choices. Choices. This is what A.W. Tozer said. The driver on the highway is not safe when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. Not when he reads them, when he obeys them. The roadway to hell is paved with good intentions. How many of you intend to love everyone all the time? Can I see your hands? It's your intention, right? How many of you fail miserably? Like me, we fail miserably. I tell you, it's been, the last few months has been something else. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 when he spoke about the future. He said this, in the last days, sin will be rampant and the love of many will grow cold. The love, that's agape love. You know, only believers can operate in the love of God, agape. So he's talking about believers like you and me in the last days, The love of many is going to grow cold. We've got to stay sharp on the subject of love. And so I think it's very opportune that we teach on it tonight. 
Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading from verse 7, a beautiful portion of Scripture, as I teach on making the choice to share God's love with others. Now, it sounds simple. <laughs> Let's take a look at what it says in 1 John. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. You want to put a circle around the word continue in your Bible. Love is not a once-off event. It's a continual process of growth and affection and treating people the way they don't deserve to be treated. Thank God he doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. Can someone say amen? How many of you are grateful that the Lord doesn't treat you the way you deserve? I mean, we're all born again and sanctified, but I said to Pastor Greg just last week, uh, you want to see how much patience God has got? Look at my life. Because <laughs> God has been patient with me. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. We're going to be taking a look at the divine order of love. This is something that you have to grasp tonight because a lot of the times we struggle to demonstrate the love of God because we don't understand the divine order. This scripture gives us the divine order of love. So underline that in your Bibles. God is love. That's the first thing. We'll unpack it in a moment. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So we see this picture of selflessness and sacrifice. As the Bible mentions that God is love, it's accompanied by sacrifice. It goes on to say, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's the second thing you want to underline in your Bible. So first of all, God is love, and second of all, he loved us and sent us his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Can someone say again, thank you, Jesus. Say thank you that the barrier between me and God has been eternally removed, amen? We always have free access into the Lord's presence. He goes on to say, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So yeah, you have this divine order present. Number one, God is love. Number two, he loved us. And finally, we surely ought to love each other. But loving each other is the third step. If we really don't comprehend those first two points in the order of love, it will be virtually impossible to replicate the same kind of love, that sacrificial love of God giving his son. We won't be able to replicate that to the world. So, the third choice that we're going to be dealing with tonight is how to choose to share God's love. So in verse eight, let's unpack this for a moment because we need to understand this divine order. Number one, love is not God. The Bible says God is. It does not say, it does not read love is God. Now what is the difference? Well, there's a huge difference because the Bible teaches us that everything God, is, God does is loving. And today the word love has become a very subjective thing, you know? Um, I love my car. I've got a new car. You know, I just love that spaghetti bolognese. 
You know, we use, we use the love, in, we use the word love interchangeably. And what's happened in the world today, especially with everything that's going on and this push towards liberalism, what happens is people have defined what they think love is, and then they try and see if God measures up to their definition. No, no, no. God is love. So we have to start off with this understanding that everything that God does, even throughout the Old Testament, even though we don't understand it, even though it doesn't line up with what we think love should be or how love acts, we have to put God above love and understand that everything that God does is loving. We accept that by faith. Even some of the things that we read in the Old Testament, we don't understand. When God did that, when God instructed that judgment to come down, it was out of love that he did it. So first of all, we have to understand that God is love. God is love and therefore everything he does is loving. Now knowing that God is love would be completely pointless without the next truth in this divine order of love, and that is that God loves us. Bump your neighbor and say, God loves you. Say this, the Father loves you. You see, the only way this began to make sense to me, really, and I'm gonna be transparent with you folks, the only way I began to really accept and understand why God could love me and how he could love me was when I had my two daughters and I became a father myself. I can honestly tell you up until that point, I didn't really comprehend what unconditional love was like. But you know when my kids, and by the way, my grandson was born this morning. <laughs> Ezra, another Ezra has come into the world. He's gonna shake things up, praise the Lord. So he was born this morning. But for those of you that have become parents, you'll know, even when your daughter or your son spoiled their fourth diaper in a row, Pastor Tracy changing Michael's nappies. She's about done, and all of a sudden, Mikey just goes and reads all over the show. I mean, she didn't at one point say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. I changed it once, I'm not doing it a second time, and walked out of there. No, she said, oh, look, coochie, coochie, coo. It's so sweet that she got another nappy. There was nothing that our kids could do that would ever cause us to stop loving them. So there's a special revelation, I believe, that is reserved for those who choose to become parents as they grow up and understand this wonderful love and that God loves us. So now let's move on to the final point in this divine order. So number one, God is love. Secondly, God loves us. And Jesus really brought this revelation to us as, he, as we got this glimpse of God as a father, Abba, in the New Testament as opposed to the Old. You must understand it was revolutionary to the Jews at that time where Jesus presents and says to them, listen, you can call him daddy. Can you imagine how, how difficult that must have been to them when they just saw the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God, and um, it must have been quite difficult for them. But yet Jesus comes and says, he's your daddy, and that's how you can approach him. When you wake up in the morning, Abba, Father, hey, Dad, how are you doing? It changes the way you approach God, folks. Listen to me. It changes the way you pray. It changes the way you repent. Not out of fear, but you just, I'm sorry I disappointed you, Dad. I really, I, I know you want better for me. And if you see him as a father, not just God, then you can see him just holding you and saying, you know what, it's okay. Tomorrow we'll do better. 
tomorrow will do better. Because a dad never leaves his child alone. So first of all, God is love. Secondly, God loves us. And then thirdly, we love others. We love others. There's a very profound story, an account that takes place in Luke chapter seven. And it's a story of the prostitute. Jesus gets invited to a dinner or a lunch at a Pharisee's house. When he gets there, there is a prostitute that comes in and she pours an alabaster jar of oil on the feet of Jesus and begins to wipe his feet with the tears as she weeps in repentance. The Pharisee becomes indignant and so Jesus says to him, he says, Simeon, I wanna tell you a story. There were two men, one was forgiven 50 silver coins and the other one was forgiven 500 silver coins. They were forgiven their debt. He says to Simeon, who do you think appreciated their debt being forgiven more? And Simeon says, no, definitely the one with 500. And Jesus goes on to illustrate why this woman was so repentant. And he says this in Luke chapter seven, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Look at that. Her understanding of how much she was forgiven put her in a position to demonstrate love. He says, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And here, family, listen carefully, is the truth. We can only release to the world what we have received. If you do not really appreciate and have received the love of God, it's very difficult to pass that love on to anybody else. So chances are the ones that are angry, antagonistic, the ones that are fighting with you all the time, the ones that are just rub you up the wrong way, 10 to one, they are the ones that struggle to accept the Father's love. You see, she loved much, the King James translation says, because she's been forgiven much. People become loveless when they forget how much they themselves have been forgiven of. So when we talk about choosing to demonstrate God's love, we have to understand this divine order of love, that number one, God is love, number two, God loves us, and number three, he's called us to show his love to the rest of the world. But in so doing, we always gotta walk aware of the wonderful forgiveness that's been provided for us through Jesus. I wanna deal with some misconceptions of love before we move on in this message. I'm gonna take a sip of water quickly. There are many misconceptions about this word love as I alluded to earlier on. Because remember this, that if a word means everything, love my car, love my cat, love my house, love my dog, love my wife, love going on holiday, love it when the rain strengthens, Love it when corruption is completely wiped out. <laughs> you know, when you use the word love, when you use a word for everything, it's hard for it to mean anything. I'll say it again. When a word is used for everything, it's hard for it to mean anything specific. So here are some misconceptions about this word love. Real love comes from a feeling. I feel goosebumps, I feel butterflies. I'll never forget, I was 13 years old, standing on the edge of the, of the sea. My friend and I, Warren, we had our boogie boards. I grew up in a Mansum Toti, and we were waiting to get, 
We were checking the swells out, timing it so we could get in there and catch a wave. And all of a sudden, these two young ladies came walking past us. One of them was my wife, and the other one was her friend, Leanne Perchman. And the guys, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. When I say, when that woman looks at you and she just can't take her eyes off you, you know what I'm saying? How many of you guys, I mean, they just, thank God the lifesavers were there to protect me because, I mean, it was just like she saw me and it was game over. Do you know what I'm talking about? Game over. I was 13, she was 12, and I promise you, ever since then, I've had to fight her off. No, joking, but... No, it was actually actually the other way around. When I saw her, in actual fact, I fell in love with her instantly. I still bumped my friend. I was 13 years old, and I said to him, I'm going to marry that girl. I'd never spoken a word to her before, and it had nothing to do with a bikini. I'm just saying. (laughs) It had nothing to do with a bikini. I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And eventually, so what I began to do is I I tried to organize, because my best friend's Sister Vanessa knew Christine. So I was trying to get us together to try and say, listen, did she see me the way I saw her? No, because while I'm trying to organize this first date, (laughs) I bump into her at school. You know what it's like, men, when you fall in love? I mean, you can't think properly, you don't eat, you just, you know, everything is just about this woman. And now if you're 12 or 13 years old, I don't want you bumping your dad and saying, see, Pastor Andre can date. No, I'm the exception. Don't make the exception the rule, okay? And so I bumped into her at, at school. I still remember walking past her. Now I've got f- butterflies, flutterbys. I've got butterflies. And, and so, yeah, and so, <laughs> and so, and so I walk up to her and I introduce myself. I say, how are you doing? This is, this was her response. I'm me. Don't talk to me. I've got nothing to say to you. I thought to myself, what am I going to have to do to earn this woman's love? Anyway, cut a long story short, a couple of weeks later, we organize a braai or barbecue at my friend's house. She's there, but I tell you what, I'm giving love, but I'm not feeling anything back. Needless to say, we had a moment where we had our first kiss, and again, that's the exception to the rule. (laughs) The point I'm making is that real love does not come from feelings, Because I tell you what, since that day we got married or started dating, there's been some (laughs) humdingers. And I'm so glad that her love for me and my love for her wasn't based upon the way I feel because I would have chucked it straight away. But yet sometimes we think that's how God treats us. It's a misconception about love. The second one is that real love comes from approval. You have to approve somebody. If you love them, you have to love them and approve everything they are and everything they're doing, which is a lot of nonsense, especially in the world we live in today. Everybody wants us to approve of everything that's ungodly. And if we don't approve of their behavior, they say you don't love us. My daughter, Shanna, was young. We were visiting with my mom and dad, and she was running out towards the main road was Finn Road or Adams Road, running, riding past their complex. And I'll never forget it. She was running towards the road. I love her. I came out and I didn't say, hey, go, Shani, go. Just run into the middle of the road. I didn't. I grabbed her and I said, stop. Grabbed her by the arm and I yanked her back, thinking about what would have happened if she had run out on the road and been run over. You see, my love prevented her. I didn't agree with what she was doing, but I still loved her. So love does not mean approval. This is a misconception. You can still love someone and accept them, but you don't have to approve of their choices nor approve of their behavior. Yet the world is driving us towards that. 
So that's another misconception. The third misconception is that real love comes from effort, working. And we're gonna take a look at a, an incredible story now with both of these sons that felt they needed to earn their father's love. And neither of them, except the one son eventually, came round and understood the heart of his father. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says in the New Living Translation, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. He is the initiator. You see, the world, I believe, does not so much have a loving problem as they do a receiving problem. Because if you really received God's love, were aware constantly of what you've been forgiven of, you would love everyone. You'd forgive people in advance. Which is why we have 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So this is the, the power of the story that you know so well in Luke chapter 15. The power of the story really lies in the context. And that's why I've got this jug over here tonight and we're gonna get to that in a moment. But the, the power of the story really lies in the context there's three parables in the story. We've got the lost sheep, we get the lost coin, and then we get the lost son. I'm gonna be focusing on the lost son because ultimately this is where God wants to get us because he's already there. He wants to get us there. So in Luke chapter 15, verses one to three, it reads, tax collectors and notorious sinners, I love that, notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Isn't that interesting? This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. He told them three, but we're gonna go to Luke chapter 15, verses 11. Listen to this. To illustrate the point even further, number one, you got the lost sheep, which meant that Jesus goes after those that have run away from him or don't necessarily then belong to him. The lost coin is that Jesus values people that the world considers lost and broken. And this is the third one. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. Can someone say two sons? You see, whenever you've got two, you've got a choice. So what Jesus over here is presenting really is choice. And that's what the Lord is presenting us with today. You can adopt one of these two sons' attitude towards the father. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. What he's actually saying, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. So there's issues in this boy's heart. And as you study this out, you will see that it wasn't just sufficient for him to want to claim his inheritance right now, wish his dad was prematurely dead, but eventually also just leave and just get out of there. He, he didn't want anything more to do with his family. He wanted to go to Antioch. That's where he went, which is, which is the Old Testament version of Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. I want to get out of here. I want to go to Antioch. Things were progressive. But interesting, it says, yeah, I want my share of your estate now before you die. What an insult to his father. I wish you were actually dead so I can move on with my life. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, you must understand, his dad did not give his inheritance to him in the format of cash. He gave it to him in the form of land, 
okay? What this son would have needed to do is he would have needed to sell up all this land. And generally, what would happen then in the Old Testament times is that people would reside and live on the land of their landowners. So really what he was doing, he was selling up half of his father's estate, taking in the cash, and at the same time, the people in that area, according to Jewish custom, must have been so disappointed they would have cut him off. The amount of disrespect, not only that he showed to his father, but the amount of carelessness towards the people that occupied that land would have also had them up in arms. Would have had them up in arms. In actual fact, what they would generally do back then is they would, the son would be written off, um, rejected. If ever he made an attempt to come back again, if ever he made an attempt, they would take these clay pots like this and they would run out and they would smash the pots on the ground as a signal to him that he is not welcome. He cannot cross over this line. He has committed the unpardonable sin of forsaking his family, walking away from his father, of everyone that looked after him, that, 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 that was dear to him, and he, there was no second chance for him. And so the Bible says, a few days later, the son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. The ceremony that I've spoken about right now in Jewish custom is called the Kaiser Ceremony. And there the Bible says he wasted all his money, his entire inheritance, the Bible says, on wild living. He did everything you could possibly imagine. He was in Antioch. He was in Vegas. About, the time his money ran, about this time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. So he ran out of money, he had nothing, then things got worse for this Jewish boy who now had to go and work, work amongst pigs that were considered a, 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 an unclean animal. He himself, it was almost like he himself was becoming a pig. He was at rock bottom. There was nothing left for him. The Bible says the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He received nothing. The Bible says when he finally came to his senses, now I originally thought that this was him coming to repentance, but you'll see why it might not be that, it might not be that simple. The Bible says he came to his senses. It doesn't say that he had a heart attitude change, and you'll see why. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I will work my way back. I will earn my respect back with you. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that you love me again and that these people in this community and our extended family welcomes me back. He's been in the world. He's lost everything. If there were drugs, he would have done it. There was booze, he did it. Prostitutes, he did it. Fornication, all that kind of stuff, everything was there. He was saying, I'll work my way back and earn my way back into your good graces. Father, I've sinned a bone against heaven and you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home, and this is what's incredible. So he returned home to his father. He must have known 
the Kaiser ceremony and the kind of rejection he would possibly encounter on his way back. But sometimes desperate people will do desperate things. You know, when you've got nothing, sometimes even the pride you thought you had is broken. So he turned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. The Bible says, filled with love. Now, in the Jewish context again, this is almost kind of a heart-wrenching love. It's almost an explosion that takes place in your spirit. The Bible says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. This is the father now. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, this is something you gotta get when I speak about the context of this story. That father running was one of the most humiliating things that a Jewish man of his stature could possibly have done during that time. You know why? Men like that of his stature, they didn't run. Now, I know what you're thinking. Men of my stature, we don't run either, but maybe some of us should. But the fact that if he ran, his leg would show from underneath his robe. And it was, it was, it was it not only frowned upon, it would shock every single person that stood over there. And you've got to ask yourself the question, but, but why would the father be running towards his son? Why not wait for his son to come and show true repentance and earn his way back into the family? Why would the father run? Because you see, the father knew that the townspeople would see his son coming. The man who had lost in the world and got taken by the world and lived in the world and did everything in the world was approaching and they were coming with their pots. They were coming to declare the disdain towards what the son had done to the father. You see, the father wasn't running just to get out to his son. The father was running to get ahead of the pots that were gonna break and that were gonna bash and that were gonna crash on the ground. He needed to get ahead of those breaking pots. The father thought to himself, I would rather be humiliated. I would rather show my leg and people mock me and jab at me and say things about me and their focus would be off my son because by the time they were finished mocking me, my son would be in my embrace and he would be restored and he would be made whole. And you know, that's what God did in Jesus. He was mocked. He was shamed. He was the one that was running out in front of the pots for both you and me. That's why he ran. His love compelled him to put him in a place of shame so that you and I could be saved. I'm asking you today, family, if our Father was prepared to do that for us, he said, God is love, God loves us. We ought to show that same kind of love to the people in the world. You might be sitting here today and maybe you haven't been to Vegas, but maybe it's been a rough year for you and you've made compromises. You've made compromises that you don't think you can come back from. You don't want to come back to church. Some of you watching online, you don't want to come back to church because the village people are standing there with the pots. They're standing there with the pots. This is your image. They're standing there with the pots because if you come back into church, they're ready to say, listen, you rejected the Father. You rejected everyone. They're ready to smash the pots. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you He's not prepared to give up on you. None of you watching on TV, He's not prepared to give up on you. He took your shame. And you can come at any time. Oh, there's such an amazing, beautiful painting. 
that's done by the Dutch artist Rembrandt. It's called Return of the Prodigal. And it's such a beautiful picture painting representation. It's called Return of the Prodigal. I want you to notice something over there. When this prodigal son came back to his father, the Lord said, the father said, give him a robe, give him a ring. Give him sandals. Restore him completely. It's been forgiven. I've washed his shame. Look, Rembrandt even, he left the sandal off. Look how matted the hair is of the prodigal son. Look how battered and bruised and broken he is. His clothing, imagine what he must have smelt like. He had just come from a den of iniquity and his father embraces him. Look at the oldest son. This was a son, the Bible says, that was working the fields when his, when his brother came home, rejecting his brother. That older brother had also tried to work his whole life to earn his father's respect try to work to earn his father's love. You can almost see in his eyes, I wish I was him, but I don't think I can be him. What a beautiful representation. And this was the last painting that Rembrandt painted. Tells you a lot about where he was in his walk with God at that time, where he was in his relationship with Jesus. He felt like that prodigal that had returned home. Now you might be sitting here and you say to me, Pastor Andre, that prodigal was me many years ago and I'm grateful to the Lord. Well, then I'm saying now, take up this charge by God and love others the way the Father loves Him. Don't put a limit on your forgiveness. Don't write them off. Many of them are just waiting to experience the love of God and the way they'll experience the love of God is through you. You have to be the one that embraces them. You have to be the one that not only embraces them and forgives them, but you're the one that picks them up and puts a robe on their shoulder and puts a ring on their finger and puts the sandals on their feet and restores their dignity. Restores their dignity. 1 John chapter 4 and 11, it says, Dear friends, since God loved us like that, keep that picture there for a second. Therefore, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Surely we ought to love each other. But you see, so many people haven't been Him. So therefore they don't know what it's like. So what are the three things we need to do? What are three things we need to do in light of this message this evening? The first thing we need to do is we need to see them. We need to see them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5 says this. Remember, the message title is Choose to Show the Love of God, to share God's love with others. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So how does that look? Well, I'll ask you, who do you know that needs a bit more patience? Who do you know that needs a bit more patience, your patience? Who do you know that needs a bit more kindness? Who can you serve? Who's someone that you can forgive even before they ask? Someone you're holding something against, just, just be Jesus to that person. Have you become short? Is your fuse become short? So the first thing you need to do, first thing we need to do is we need to see them. The second thing we need to do is we need to serve them. 
1 Peter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. That means any gift, whatever you've received, look at what it says, to serve others. To serve, if you don't find yourself in a serving capacity in this church right now, I wanna encourage you to endeavor to do everything in your power to put yourself in a position of service. It says here, to serve others as faithful stewards of the manifold grace of God, or in this translation it says, in its various forms. As faithful stewards, look at that, you are a steward of the grace of God. That means that people will experience God's grace as you serve them. It's not something that happens alone in their time with God. They can encounter the grace of God through your life as you serve them. I love this quote, it says, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. How, Pastor Andre? Become a small group leader. Get involved in grief share. Become a grief share leader. Begin to serve people who are broken, who don't feel or don't understand the love of God. Do that. And then the final thing is show others. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you know one of the ways you can show others is by living a full life, by living an enthusiastic Christian life full of joy, by acting like someone who's met Jesus, been embraced by Jesus, who's had a ring placed on their finger, a cloak placed on their shoulders and new sandals placed on their feet. Be that person that lives that enthusiastic Christian life. And I was challenged with this truth specifically because I can get caught up in a lot of things all the time. I can become frustrated like the best of anybody. I realize that sometimes our eyes just shift when we see what's happening around us. It's so easy to become frustrated. And I found my, I found my enthusiasm dulling a bit. I mean, you must know it's bad when, when Pastor Johnny and those guys, I say, let's do something, I'm busy. <laughs> because you become so cynical sometimes. And I found myself not being the upbeat person that I normally am because I took my eyes off Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying to you, take your eyes off that, put it back on Jesus, start serving other people and just watch how your life will turn around like this immediately, amen? Get busy in the house of God. Get busy in the kingdom of God and everything else will begin to fade away. Show others. Mother Teresa, and I'll close with this quote, said this. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. My question to you tonight is, will you also be that small pencil in the hand of a writing God writing his love letter to the world. When people see your life, the way you treat them, the way you engage with them, is it almost like they're reading a love letter from Christ himself? As you are patient with them, as you are kind with them, as you act so completely different to the rest of the world around them, shine your light. Let's make the choice from tonight onwards to demonstrate and show the love of Jesus to every single person around us. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you are here tonight, and perhaps you're one of two people, perhaps you're that prodigal son that's wandered off and 
and needs to return. You didn't think that the Lord would even take the time to embrace you and let alone reinstate you, lift you up, clothe you, clean you. But tonight you were reminded of how much God loves you. And you perhaps maybe want to rededicate your life to the Lord and say, Father, this is me. Here I am. The world holds nothing for me. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. And then maybe you are like the other brother who's been so trying to feverishly earn God's favor. You're a, you're a works person. You thought that by coming to church on the odd occasion, the Lord would save you. And you've been striving to try and please God. You've been striving to try and get God to love you and finding out tonight that He does love you. He loved you even before you loved Him. He loved you so much that He was prepared to give His Son to die for you without any guarantee, without any guarantee that you would ever bow your knee and say, Father, I love you. I surrender my life to you. And then thirdly, maybe you are here tonight and this is all completely foreign to you. But you know that God has got your number. He's calling you. And He's calling you to salvation. Those are the three calls I'm gonna make right now. At the count of three, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. I just want you to raise your hand in the air, indicating to me and the Lord that tonight is your night. Tonight is the night where everything turns around for you. At the count of three, please raise your hands. One, two, three, right now. Raise your hand high in the air and say, Pastor Andre, that's me. God bless you. Do it boldly. Raise your hand high in the air. Say, Jesus, this is me. That son didn't try and clean himself up when he came to his father. He came straight from the pigsty, undressed, unclean, smelling, and he said, Lord, he said, Dad, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I see so many hands going up. Don't put it up halfway. Raise your hand high in the air. I want to pray with you in a moment. I want to pray with you in a moment. I'm going to count one more time. This is your last opportunity. At the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand in the air right now. God bless you. I see those hands going up. So many hands raised. So many hands raised. I'm going to ask, please, if the pastors, the group leaders, won't you please just go and place your hand on the shoulder of those folks who have their hands raised. Please don't let anybody be left alone at this point in time. This is their moment with the Father. This is their moment with the Father. Now I'm gonna ask everybody please to pray this prayer after me, especially those of you that raise your hands. Please, let's pray this prayer together and say this. Heavenly Father, tonight I come to you in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, I have sinned. I've sinned against you in thought, in word, and indeed, tonight I ask that you would forgive me and that you would cleanse me. You paid the price for my sin so that I could enjoy forgiveness. Tonight, I receive that forgiveness. Father, tonight, I receive that love. Thank you for changing me by the life-giving power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you changed my heart, that you changed my life. I surrender. I surrender to your will and to your Lordship. Thank you for saving me.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.